Good job, buns. Hot patooties. Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something. It's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like a family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad, you know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day, day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day. My day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> hey, good morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. That was a clip from Meet the Parents. Uh, I can't... Meeting the parents for the first time is nerve-wracking, right? And really, that, that whole movie, that's really what it's about. Uh, but But saying grace at the table would you feel awkward doing that especially sitting across from robert de niro who just has this way of looking like anything you could possibly do is not going to be good enough for him he's going to be dissatisfied with you he's got that look down man that's just who he is and although maybe pray, maybe not praying at the dinner table would make us that nervous if we've made that part of our lives at all really that that seems to be a common place that even historically christians have found it easy to find an opportunity to pray and i think that's because there's a subject right you're praying for the food and you're thanking the lord for it it's it's very very easy to kind of work your way through it and do it but i do think that we do have sometimes an aversion to prayer there's an awkward awkwardness to our prayers. I think there's an awkwardness to praying in public because we think we're not going to sound right. I've heard that excuse multiple times. My tongue gets tied, or I don't know what to say, or 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 I don't know what to do, or how we, how long I should pray, or how short I should pray, and so we just don't. But I think truth is, we we sometimes do that with God too, which leaves us because it feels awkward, leaves us in a position where we choose not to pray maybe nearly as often and and sometimes in some extreme cases we stop praying altogether except when things go horribly south and suddenly our prayer life comes to life 
The thing is, though, that, that prayer is supposed to be part of our life each and every day as followers of Christ. Martin Luther even said to be Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And I don't know about you, but I breathe every day. <laughs> right? I don't just do it when things go south. Prayer for the life of the Christian is kind of that important. Jesus demonstrates that through, throughout his life, throughout the Gospels. And Luke in particular, and that's the series we're in, is the study of the book of Luke. Luke presents some pretty unique images of Jesus praying and teaching about prayer. In Luke chapter 22, for example, it's only Luke that tells us that Jesus prayed for Peter in his hour of testing. And in chapter 11 of Luke, it's only Luke that tells us the prayer parables of the, the friend at midnight. And this week, we're going to look at another prayer parable or a parable on prayer in the book of Luke that only Luke gives us in his gospel. It is out of Luke chapter 18. It's going to be verses 1 through 8. It's commonly known as the parable of the persistent widow. So I'm going to read that as we get started with our lesson today. It is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read out of the CSB, and it says this. Now he told a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus jumps right in. I mean, right out of the gate. He says, look, I'm going to tell a parable here, right? I'm going to tell them a, par a parable on praying. Pray always and don't give up. That's, that's the meaning. That's the message of this parable. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he kind of leaves the disciples hanging or explains it later. In this case, Luke wants us to be sure Jesus is telling this parable and this is it. This is the reason we're not hiding it. It's about praying always and never giving up because the two in Luke's mind and the, the mind of a Christian should be tied together. These are const these are one of the many examples. We've already covered, covered a couple of what Luke goes through in his gospel. Um, but Jesus demonstrates this lifelong commitment to prayer, this regular prayer throughout the gospel from the very beginnings in Luke chapter 3. Before he receives the Holy Spirit, we see him praying in earnest. And then in chapter 6, we see that he prays literally all night long before selecting his disciples. These are major choices before he picks the people that are going to walk with him, that he's going to teach, that he knows one of them is going to betray him. I mean, these are serious decisions, and he doesn't just pray for a few seconds. He prays literally all night long. And even in Luke chapter 23, as he's hanging on the cross, as he's preparing to die, he does not lose heart. Even there we see Jesus praying. Over and over and over again in Luke, we see Jesus living out these two key elements of prayer, perseverance and hope. 
Because again, the two are kind of inextricably tied together, praying always and not giving up, praying always and continuing to hope, perseverance and hope. And he also goes here in this story, tells his disciples, these should be their attitudes in prayer too. Luke introduces us to two people in the story, or Jesus does in the story. It's the judge and the widow. The judge, kind of figure out where he stands right out of the gate, right? He does not fear God and does not respect people. It's very simple. He refuses to dispense justice. And Luke kind of paints this picture of a very self-centered, self-assured person who has little regard for anyone really other than himself, what he's going to gain from it. It's really not worth his time or energy or effort to listen to this person. In verse six, he uses the word unjust. The Greek there is adikia, and it literally means wickedness or unrighteousness or injustice. It means the opposite of God is what it means. This man is the polar opposite of who God is. And one theologian even suggests that maybe this guy was on the take right? Maybe someone was paying him not to administer justice to this person, or maybe there was another person of standing that he knew, if I just don't give, that would ha- the, that rendering a verdict in the widow's favor would harm him. He said, if I cover him, if I cover his back, he will take care of me later. Maybe I need something from him. It's just this, again, this idea that he's in it for himself, and he is not God. He is wicked and he is unrighteous and he is unjust in his very nature. We then also meet the widow. And what we know about widows, first, this is really consistent with one of Luke's themes. If you remember, one of the three themes we identified was that he calls into view the social impact of the gospel, the importance of reaching out to those who who are oppressed, who are enslaved, or who are the widows and the fatherless and the poor. Um, in our memory verse from the first week, Luke 4, 18 and 19, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now the good news of the gospel is for everyone, but Luke wants us to hyper-focus on the poor in his version. So we see this widow, this widow with likely no income source. She likely has no legal rights. In fact, at that time, she wouldn't have had any legal rights to her husband's estate. If she had grown children and they were happened to be men, then they would have legal rights. If they were not men, then frankly, the legal rights reverted back to the nearest male relative. She had nothing. And, and if she had actually had children, small children that she had to care for after her husband passed, she was on her own. She was totally on her own. There weren't any nonprofit organizations or advocacy groups out there trying to support her. There's no one trying to help her make ends meet. There's no social services or welfare program. A widow is in dire need of a husband in her life, or she's really left completely to her own devices. So even that this woman would stand up and say something, and call a judge, a person of stature, to task indicates a level of bravery that the society itself wouldn't allow for and certainly wouldn't expect. The fact is she had no right to do this, none. 
and yet we find her doing just that. And we know really one thing about this widow. She's persistent. <laughs> if you've ever had an argument with a two-year-old who's already set their mind on something they want, there is a level of persistence there that I it's just unfathomable. And and for whatever reason, that's the that's the that's the image that I get when reading about this widow. She knows what she wants, and she's just going to keep poke, 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 poke. It's a death by a thousand cuts, right? She's going to poke, poke, poke until she gets what she wants. <laughs> but the thing is, her persistence pays off. It totally pays off. In verses 4 and 5, it says, for a while he was unwilling, right? This guy was not going to do it. She was punching a brick wall, and but but not letting go. But he later says to himself, even though I don't care about God or respect people, even though I don't care, just because she's pestering me, I'm going to do something about this, right? Because she's going to wear me out. We have a, a, a dog in our house. Her name is Ginger. And uh, if Ginger decides that she wants what you're eating, it is really, she becomes very annoying very fast. <laughs> and, and she is just, if she sees you eating something, she will just sit there and stare at you with those eyes. And that's her way of pestering. She used to, once in a while, slap us with her paw, put it on our leg and stuff. And we'd be like, no, so she doesn't do that anymore. But she, she will whine and she will complain. If she wants out, she will do the same. She makes her opinions known. And truth be told, even though I don't think that she should get table scraps, once in a while I will bend. And that probably causes me more trouble than I'd ever want to know. But, <laughs> but once in a while I will just because I'm like, please stop pastoring because if I know if I give it to her, at least for a minute she will walk away and go eat it. Then she'll come back and ask for more because it isn't how it works. But the, the Greek word's there for wear me out, right? He says, so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming to me. The, the Greek word there is hippopiazo, and it literally means to beat black and blue or to smite somebody. <laughs> yeah, I will give her justice so she doesn't beat me to a pulp <laughs> by her persistent coming. You can tell he is 100% not feeling good about this, and she is driving him bonkers. But then Jesus turns on a dime in the middle of this parable, and in verse 7, he pointedly turns this parable into an application. He says, will God, will not God, and that's that's to mean if, if this unjust, ungodly judge will give in at the persistence of the widow. Will not God grant justice to his who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? The, the, the point is clear. God is merciful, unlike the judge. God is just, unlike the judge. He is the polar opposite. And the point is clear. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying to the Lord and asking him for help. Don't stop leaning into him. Don't stop asking him to engage with you and to, to tell you what he's thinking because, yeah, sometimes he does. He whispers quietly or, or he lines things up to give you an, an idea of where he wants you to head. He will do that if you're perseverant and persistent and hopeful. Again, there's that connection to perseverance and hope. The point is clear. Don't stop praying. Keep 
praying, whatever you do, whatever crisis you are facing, no matter how insurmountable the odds, and even if you are alone and without any support, do not stop going to God in prayer. That's the message here. Because when we give up praying, we soon afterwards give up hope. And hope runs in short supply, sadly, even in the lives of followers of Christ sometimes. This prayer time is this unique opportunity to be connected with him. And and it could be in a prayer closet. If you've ever watched the movie War Room, I, I would encourage you, if you've never seen it, to watch that. That is a powerful, powerful um, illustration of what persistent prayer from literally an elderly widow <laughs> looks like. And, and she has put set aside an entire room for herself, right? To go hide in this room and, and eliminate all the other distractions and the things that would pull her sideways to go pray to God. And the thing is, just like anything else we do more of, the more often we are committed to praying to him, to engaging with him, to being on our knees literally or figuratively with him, to, to listen to him, the closer that relationship becomes. If we persevere in praying, the relationship grows. And unironically, so does the hope. So the message here is really clear. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for healing. Even if you think something is beyond healing, don't stop praying for peace. Don't stop praying for strength. Don't stop praying for purpose. Don't stop praying for kindness or humility or the ability to forgive. Don't stop praying for purity or obedience or change or the opportunity to bless others. Don't stop praying for hope, especially when you're hopeless. Do not give up because we don't serve an unjust judge. We serve the God of hope. And the God of hope desperately wants to talk to you and desperately wants you to talk to him. Persevere, pray, and with it, your hope will last. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.